Hello, welcome back to Viewfinders. I'm your host, Graham Dargy, and today I'm talking with Eric Parry, a light painting and bullet time photographer from Montreal, Canada. For me, Eric is the absolute best in the world at what he does, so it's a real privilege to have him on the show, and I'm really excited to share this episode with you. Before we get to that, how has your week been? I know there's different restrictions in place around the world at the moment, but are you getting much photography done? Um, maybe your photography's thriving in the current restrictions. Uh, maybe it's completely on hold. I'd love to hear about that. You can connect with me on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and at view-finders.co.uk. All the links are in the show notes. Here in Scotland, it's a lockdown, so we can't go very far or do very much. So, mainly being at home. And uh, But I did manage to get a small photography job done here at home. And uh, otherwise, just been really looking forward to my upcoming event which I will plug now. Viewfinders Live, it's an evening with Mark McCall, sponsored by mpb.com. This is going to be an online event on the 15th of February um, featuring Mark McCall, a landscape photographer from Scotland. Mark's going to give a talk about his landscape photography from Scotland, Iceland, Scandinavia, and everywhere else that he's been. Uh, There'll be a live Q&A, and you'll have the chance to win a £50 MPB voucher courtesy of the sponsor mpb.com tickets are available on eventbrite now that's 10 pounds for the ticket plus booking fee and the link is in the show notes um, i would like to take a second to mention mpb.com the sponsor of the event mpb is a place where you can buy and sell used photography gear mpb trades thousands of cameras and lenses every week and each item comes with a six month warranty i've always bought quality used items and received great service so i can highly recommend them so thanks a lot to mpb for sponsoring the event and giving me a 50 pound voucher to give away at viewfinders live an evening with mark mccall sponsored by mpb.com on monday the 15th of february 2021 it's a great night for anyone with an interest in landscape photography and tickets are available on eventbrite now okay that brings me to this week's guest eric parry Eric is an incredible light painting and bullet time photographer from Montreal, Canada. Eric's trademark style features a hand-drawn circle of light silhouetting a perfectly poised dancer in a spectacular location with a magnificent Milky Way overhead, and it's all captured in one shot in camera. Eric's also a master of bullet time photography, which involves surrounding a subject with up to 176 cameras and firing them in sequence to create a 360 degree moving image. We talk about some of Eric's best images, the value of working with dancers, why Eric freely shares all of his knowledge through his YouTube videos, how you can try light painting photography on a budget, and much, much more. So, go work out. Walk the dog, wash the dishes, whatever it is you do when you're listening to podcasts and enjoy my conversation with Eric Parry. Hi, Eric. Uh, Welcome to the show. Hi, Graham. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, I'm really excited to talk to you today. I've been following your work for quite some time and um, well, I'll, I'll tell you about that in a minute. But just for the listeners, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your photography? Yeah, so my name is Eric Perry. I'm from Montreal, Canada. I speak French. I have uh, that strong accent when I speak English. <laughs> I've been doing photography for way too long, but my, my thing is really about light painting and sometimes but at time. And these are things that I've been doing for about uh, seven, eight, nine years. And um, 
I discovered your work, okay, about five years ago. And um, I was doing a project uh, where I was photographing dancers. And um, what what I, I, I started out shooting, uh, I had a shoot in New York City, um, which sounds makes me sound really cool. But we were just there on holiday. It wasn't like I was commissioned to go there or anything. Uh, but while we were there, I thought I'm going to put together something because I might never be in New York again. Um, so my cousin lived in New York at the time, my cousin Emma. And uh, she got me connected with these dancers. And so we did this shoot from Brooklyn with the Manhattan skyline behind with the dancers. I hired a couple of flashes in New York and um, had these three dancers. I quickly shot them and it was it was really a great experience. But um, one of the main takeaways was um, working with the dancers, I thought was amazing. I just, it's not like, you know how it is when you photograph most people, they're like, they have hang ups, they don't enjoy it you know okay you you have a really good point there working with dancers is i feel like it's kind of cheating for me because i don't know how to direct models okay dancers you just ask them to do their thing and it's so easy mm, it's yeah. amazing i let I, you continue your story about your trip to new york no but just to frame um how i come to your work um and so working with those girls was so amazing and they took direction really well they're very strong, but the complete mastery of, of their bodies was, was amazing as well. And when you see someone standing on point for on one foot, on, on one toe for 10 seconds while you take a picture or a few pictures, it's really, really amazing. So from the takeaway from that was like, I need to work with dancers again. I have to do more of this. So when I got back home, um, I, I got um, connected with a couple of good dancers here and uh, continued the project. And the, the sort of culmination of that for me was um, I wanted, I had the idea to combine it with light painting. I don't know how the, where the idea came from. And I wanted to do a shot where the dancer was sort of wrapped in light. And um, so you'll understand this. We got like a fiber optic kind of brush and just kind of, I got a, a, an assistant to brush around the dancer while she held still. And we did it in the studio and it worked out really, really well. Um, and and that was it for me. I'd, I'd done my light painting thing and it was out of my system. Um, but that's when I came across your work, just when I was researching how what I might do. And um, so I saw what you were doing, obviously, and I didn't want to just repeat that. And it wasn't really my thing was to really wrap her in the light, physically have the light on her. And so I was just looking back at those pictures today uh, and I saw that you'd liked the pictures. Uh, and it's back in like 2015 on my uh, Instagram feed. Um, so I was like, whoa, we were connected years ago. It's amazing. But um, so for me, like I said, I did the thing and got it out of my system and it, and it was done. And that's that's like my photographer's attention span. It's like one thing and I'm on to the next thing. For your work, coming back to it, I, I mean, I'm just really impressed that how you have kind of grabbed hold of it and pushed the art form of light painting to new places and seemingly turned it into a, a decent business. It's totally impressive. Well, and no, go ahead. I think that you just described my problem. I get obsessed with things and I just continue on and on and on for years mm -hmm. until I get into something. <laughs> so you said for you it was one project, dancers and light painting. Well, it's my whole life now. <laughs> mm. I've been doing that for so long. Um, and this is natural for me to work this way but it's also a conscious choice. And I, I go even deeper than this. Uh, so for Lightspin, the, pro the project you, you saw back then, 
Um, I was working in 360 with 24 cameras and I wanted to do something with light painting. I already had experience, I know what to do, but I wanted to add uh, a challenge. It was to use a single tool for a big project. And I chose the most difficult one that I had, which was uh, just a small roll of neutral density filter that I put on top of a flashlight, something very cheap and uh, mm. easy to, to make by yourself, but very hard to master. And when I started that project, my pictures were not very bright. It was hard, but I kept pushing it. And after a few weeks, I really got it. And that became probably the biggest project of my life. So so as it worked, it just kept working this way. Um, same thing with, with the with the tubes. Once we figure out the, these things, uh, and we're just traveling with, with tubes for for so long for for about five years. That was uh, our, our lives traveling around the world with four feet tubes mm. in our backpack, and <laughs> that 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 was it. So this is pretty much what I do. I. I of course, I also do landscape. Uh, I've been doing bird photography, a lot of different things. <laughs> it, it's, it's good to, to do different things to, to learn, but what I put the most effort on is what I, I want to be hired for or what I really want to do in my life, mm. which hopefully is the same for, for everyone. In my case, it is. So what, what really interests me is also what I want to be hired for. Mm. I would love to see your bird photography. I'm assuming it's in 360 with light painting. <laughs> no light painting. No, that was way before I knew about light painting. Um, I've, yeah, I used to travel to photograph birds. So, you know, the typical countries where you find beautiful birds, Costa Rica, Thailand, uh, Peru. Were you saying that the 360 degree photography came before the light painting? Yes, it did. Ah. Uh, one year before. So the way it happens that I was a photographer, like commercial photographer, just, just like you. This is what I was doing, but I was not super happy with what I was doing. I didn't feel like I was bringing something um, that was different enough. So it was kind of on and off. So I was doing gigs sometimes, but I was also a programmer. That's my formation. That's, I, I studied in programming. Mm. Um, so I was doing both and I love being a programmer because that allowed me to be free to travel, to work from anywhere on the planet and doing mm. photography for commercial gigs. I had to stay home, wake up early, go in various places. And so it was on and off uh, with photography. But at some point, there's a guy in an agency called me for a gig in 360 that involved programming and photography. So mm -hmm. <laughs> I, was the, I was the right person to, to do that. And I had only three weeks to, to do it. And it worked well. And um, I got passionate about multi-camera work right away and but it's, it's been a very busy year developing that system traveling a lot with tons of cameras learning about this whole business and after a year we had a downtime we had a few months uh, without any uh, projects on the road and we had that little black studio 
and I wanted to experiment with light painting. I, I knew nothing about light painting back then. I mean, it was just like draw your your name for art in the air, and like no interest. But my studio was so small, and I needed to find a way to light up my subject without revealing the cameras. Mm. And that's very challenging with studio lights, uh, with continuous light. It's just too hard mm. in that kind of environment. So light painting was the answer because I needed a very concentrated light around my subject. Mm. So I tried and it worked. It worked quite quickly, but was not good. But after a few weeks of practice every day with different people, I uh, really got into something, and this is when I came up. This is when I came up with my one-second light painting thing, which is mm -hmm. a bit funny because if you look at the definition of light painting on Wikipedia, it says that it's uh, over one-second exposure, but mm -hmm. very often I'm under one-second exposure. But that's that's the key here. This is really about doing fast movement with the light so you can freeze your subject because no one is going to stay still for a minute when mm. you do light painting. And there is an option to flash your subject at some point in the exposure to have a crisp image, but I'm not into that. I, I have my, my strobes here, but when you flash your subject and you also add light painting, you're kind of creating a, a weird, um, weird image that doesn't necessarily fit What's really important for me is to have a crisp image, but also to have the light painting that fits with the overall visual. And, and everything worked so well by blending uh, light painting on my subject in 360. So I've been doing that for a full year, just indoors, 360 light painting, no experience outdoors. And I, I want to try that because uh, I've been traveling for so long. But when I, when I tried, it didn't work well. The way I was doing it indoors was not working outdoors because I was used to disappear in the studio by wearing black clothing. That's not working outdoors because even if you wear black clothing, if you work at the, the blue hour, you're going to block the, the background. Hmm. So that doesn't work. It took me, I think, two years to find these long tubes. And that was the answer because with using long tubes, it's so much easier to hide yourself behind the light, behind the mm. subject. So yes, but a time came way before light painting for me. But today I'm mixing both. And uh, so I was at 24 cameras at the beginning in 2011. And my current studio is 176 cameras mm. uh, in which I use either constant lights, strobes or light painting. My studio is so much bigger now, and I am able to use studio lights and to hide the cameras, which was not possible back in the days with a super tiny studio. That's it's really interesting to hear that journey. Um, I, I was wondering about the programming, um, and one one of the videos that I was watching when I was preparing for this was um, a behind the scenes video of you. You were uh, on the beach with Kim, your collaborator, and you were just narrating the shoot as you were doing it. And there's a lot of steps um, and there's a lot for you to do and everything's changing very quickly. But there's, there's once you understand, I think the light painting, there's a kind of a logic to it, you know, everything kind of has to fit where it fits. I was wondering if that's a bit, if I don't know anything about programming, but is, is that a bit like programming? Did you feel like the 
programmer mindset helped you with the light painting photography in some way? Mm. Does that make sense? I don't know. I never thought about that, maybe. But what's for sure for me is that when I started to learn about doing ballet time, it was so much more complicated than anything else I've been doing in my life mm. that my, my head started to be more um, able to do all of these things at the same time. So when I started to work outdoors, I just kept working with tons of cameras. So two cameras to take pictures, one horizontal, one vertical, or different focal length, and a, a third or even a fourth camera just to film the whole process. And I keep running from one camera to the other. So I think it's really my early ballet time work that got me into uh, being that focused on handling that many technology. Because hmm. on that video, on that specific video you're, you're talking about, uh, it's just Kim and I on the beach and I'm handling all of the cameras. That includes changing the white balance and all of the settings as the sun is going down. So the, mm. the settings are changing so quickly during the blue hour. That's our prime time when we're working outdoors. It's through the blue hour and that is probably 15 to 30 minutes only. So I have to run everywhere to change the camera position, change the framing uh, according to the position of the glow of the sunset. So it's very motivating, very stimulating. I, I love being in that, in that focus mode. It's very similar to my work with multi-camera, mm -hmm. but I'm outdoors for, for this kind of work. Where you have a lot of go things going on like that, a lot of moving parts that you find that stimulating, you, that gets you going, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was so let's go to the light painting. So uh, you you did touch on this before, but when did you really land on that um, signature shot with the circle of light behind the subject? Yeah. So the the thing behind the subject is really about my outdoors work because that that doesn't really work in three sixty. In three sixty, mm. it's really about wrapping the subject with the light. But outdoors, it's really hard to hide yourself when you're working that way. So the idea was really to use a long source of light. So these are my four feet tubes and I stay behind the subject because this is the only place I can hide myself. Hmm. When we saw these tubes, it was kind of a miracle because we've been looking for a way to do light painting outdoors. And we saw these tubes at a plastic store in San Francisco and we bought just one. We paid two dollars for for it then, but we knew right away it would work. So the same night we we went on the beach with with friends, and it worked so well. And that was the beginning of a long journey. And we knew we knew about that. And mm. so I remember we asked ourselves, okay, what what are we doing with that? Are we going to to teach it or to just to create more without? You know, just creating art without explaining, and the the, the answer was obvious uh, because we already had a community back then, 2015, mm. and we we shared the the technique right away, the tool we were using, and it kind of went viral within a few days. And so that was super cool for for us because because from then from there the community started growing, and and nowadays people are learning from me, they teach to others who are teaching to others. And that is thousands and thousands of, of people. So it's great to see these things evolve. And, and sometimes I see, uh, I see pictures on Instagram that are 
clearly related to, to what we do, but from people that we've never heard about, and they mm. don't, they don't uh, really connect with us, but they, they learn it, I think, based on uh, the early work that, that we've been doing. That, so that was an easy decision for you just to put it out there because someone else might have kept it to themselves, you know? Yeah, but, you know, it, it's, it's funny because that was a natural thing to do for us. But if we would have uh, taken another direction, someone else would have taken the lead to teach these things mm. because it, it's kind of easy once you know that it's just a plastic tube. You put a flashlight inside <laughs> of it. So, you know, and... <laughs> And I love to teach. I mean, so many of the, the, the traveling we're doing is about teaching. Uh, every year we go to Spain uh, to, to, to teach these things. We've been doing a lot of workshops on, on the road. It's fun because you're outdoors with friends, doing light painting, finding new ways to use the tube, and bringing people a different way to do photography also because most of the... Most of the people we're working with are landscape photographers or dance photographers. Mm. So that's a new tool they can add to, to their skills. And that, that's great. Uh, so many of them uh, end up either buying our tubes or making their own. And then they start playing with tubes, creating images. And also like a very important point, the fact that we're teaching everything for free. Like my YouTube is not even monetized. Okay? Mm. The fact that we're teaching everything for free makes the technique grow faster. And so many other people are finding small twists to the, the technique that we can apply on our own things later mm. on. So we're all growing together. We're all learning in this uh, fantastic adventure with light. Uh, it's a really great to hear that that kind of attitude and spirit of generosity can come right back to you you know so um it's just sort of a positive vibe that we need to hear isn't it so so i was curious about how you how you've turned that around and how you've um managed to monetize if it weren't for a better word the um the light painting thing but it's been through actual workshops you do those physical workshops in locations with people or you, you did maybe before 2020 Oh yeah, we've been doing workshops for for a long time, but it's not really what's paying the bills for us. Uh, it's mostly our commercial gigs. Um, we've been doing that for a long time. And a good example is that when I released my first project in full 360 with light painting, um, I needed that project to go some sort of viral and it worked and mm -hmm. I knew I knew how, how these things worked back then when you have a project that gets seen by a lot of people a few folks in agencies are going to see that and they're going to hire you mm -hmm. for commercial gigs that works that works mm -hmm. that, that's uh, that's the key okay for for everyone's listening to that create good content put it online get seen get published in photography blogs this is the, the, the way the way to go, um, much more than just posting on, on Instagram or, or TikTok. Mm. And so, so we started to have uh, commercial gigs right away and very different things. Uh, sometimes it was just about creating a studio light painting with a single camera, you know, for campaigns with a, just a solo shot. Sometimes we, uh, we had our images purchased license for different products 
Um, he's been doing a lot of um, live events where we would travel with tons of cameras. We've been to Coachella, South by Southwest, to the Olympic Games in, uh, in Brazil. Uh, so many places where we just travel with the cameras and we either do light painting or just make people jump in 360. So this all grows together, but the, the teaching part, it's not something that I really monetize. I mm -hmm. started to make my own tubes two years ago, but it took me a long time to jump in, in there. Even if uh, I had so many people who kept asking me to do tubes for them. And I was like, no, you can do the tubes by yourself. I'm teaching mm -hmm. you how to make them by yourself. So you don't need me. But the truth is that so many people, and I'm, I'm like that also, it's just a, like no one wants to really take a pair of scissors to find all of the pieces that you need. So it's been a huge success. Uh, I was not expecting that. When we started to, to make our own very solid and bright tubes, uh, that became a significant part of the business. Mm. So I have uh, two people working on that currently upstairs. Uh, they handle everything. Uh, they uh, assemble the tubes, they do the shipping. So mm. this is um, going by itself. So on my side, the only thing I have to do is to, uh, uh, to promote the, the, the products themselves so, and to make the, the pictures for, for the website. Mm. That's amazing. Um, so the the videos and and you for the listener, anyone who doesn't hasn't seen your videos before, there's so much content out there that you've created, in terms of tutorials and and behind the scenes kind of stuff. Um, so that goes before you almost as a sort of marketing, I guess. Uh, one thing I was curious about Eric, just before we move on to other things, but I was really curious because Kim is such a a big part. I feel of of the whole thing. Yeah. Um, from from seeing the the videos, I was wondering how and when you met and what impact that made on you. Did you realize straight away that you'd met someone very important there? Yeah. So during the light spin project earlier during this podcast, I was talking about this project where I was using a single tool that was too dark and it took me a while to figure that out. She was the the turning point. When she came, she was so precise with her movement. Mm. And somehow this is when I started to figure out how to light, light up properly my dancer. And so she became the reference for all of the other dancers that, uh, that I saw after her. And she became the face of this project. I didn't know her at all at that point. Mm. Uh, and she was incredible. She was so precise because, you know, with, with light painting, you need someone who can really stay still and someone's really focused on, on the moment to stay still without moving. But also when you add stop motion to the light painting is to keep a very precise track of motion from point A to point B. And mm. she, she got it right away. She was so good at doing this. And the, the project was a huge success. Uh, I've been to many film festivals with, with this one. And a year later, I was like, well, she was so good. I wanted to see what, what we could, what other things we could do together. So um, um, we, we worked again on a few different things, mostly experimentations. And it was going so well that we, we just kept working together for of these years. 
Mm. Yeah, she's great, and it's obvious yeah. that um, it's it's clear to me from having worked with people like that, um, you know, collaborated with dancers. I mean, like when you when you meet someone who just gets it, it makes it just makes the whole thing happen, you know. Yeah, it's much more than this. She's not just the model or the dancer. She's a big yeah. part of the of the creative process. So many of the ideas are coming from her. So she she's very involved with all of these projects. Mm, that that's that comes across. It's she seems like a great asset. Um, so okay, so uh, before we move on, um, let me ask you if somebody wanted to experiment with this and start getting into it, because I saw on your uh, YouTube channel there's there's a way to do this that costs um, two dollars. Two dollars, yeah. So what can people do if they really just want to start basic? Yeah, so a one dollar flashlight and a sheet of paper. That's it. <laughs> that's how I started. Okay, that's super easy, super affordable, and these days you can even use your smartphone to do light painting. That was not possible in mm. 2012, but yes, you can put your your cell phone uh, on a stand or just uh, on, on the table, uh, hanging with uh, with a glass, and as long as it's not moving, it's going to be fine. So you set your exposure time to a few seconds. And you use the, the sheet of paper, kind of a taco. You wrap the, the sheet around your flashlight and you're going to, to wrap your subject with the light. A sheet of paper is just like a soft box. For those who know about studio photography, it's the same thing, okay? If you bring the sheet of paper close enough to your subject, you're going to see right away the beautiful soft light that is creating. So that's enough to get started. You don't need to invest in expensive equipment or expensive flashlights. So to get started, I would recommend really going simple with a sheet of paper. And then if you really see that you have an interest for that, then you can start to look around for uh, tubes or fiber optics, uh, the different tools that that can work for, for light painting. But basically you can use pretty much uh, anything. We, we tried with an apple, just put a flashlight that shines an apple and you move it around your subject mm. and that's going to work. So uh, I have a quick fire, quick gear round here, just to quickly get into the, um, the equipment that you use for this. So do you have a go-to camera and lens combination for light painting? Well, for, for my style, it's really uh, about having uh, a wide angle because when we work outdoors, it's not just about doing the light painting, but it's to mix with landscape photography. Mm. So I really love using a 14 millimeter lens on a full frame body. So these days I'm using the Canon EOS R. All of my gears Canon. I've been working with, with those cameras for so long that it, it feels natural for me. And the EOS R is just like the 5D Mark IV, which I've been using for so many years. So for me, it's, these are cameras that I, I'm just so used to, to work with hmm. and they're working well, but you don't need the, you don't need the, these cameras, these, these expensive cameras to get started. Uh, actually on my 360 rig, what I'm using is a SL1, which is called a 100D in Scotland or in Europe. And that camera today worth about uh, 250 pounds or mm -hmm. $350. So it's really affordable and I can extract one frame from my 360, which is from that specific camera. It's very affordable. 
and and have a 5,000 pixels wide uh, image with light painting, that works super well. So I don't think that it matters that much to to have the, the most fancy camera, but what's helpful in my case is to have a wide angle lens on a full frame because I'm mixing my outdoor side painting with landscape, mm. especially with the Milky Way, you need something quite wide. Yeah. And it seems like white balance is a really critical factor in the whole thing. Um, can you say a little bit about that? About the white balance? Yeah. And when you're shooting in location like that, it's like you have to get it just right. Or does it depend on the tube that you're using or? Not, not, not really. So, so my point about the white balance is that I'm filming my sessions. Okay. And on the camera as it's filming, I cannot change the white balance later on. So mm. it's really important to have it in camera. But for photography itself, it doesn't matter because you should, you're shooting raw, right? Okay. Are you shooting raw? Of, <laughs> of course, course you are. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you can change it later on. But what I figured out over the years is that if you have your right, right balance during the shooting, you'll be more motivated because you see the, mm. the, the right colors. And what I mean by that is that when you're starting to shoot at the beginning of the blue hour, you'll be at white balance 5200, something like this. So it looks good. But later on, like just 20 minutes later, the, um, the sky is so much different. But if you keep your white balance very warm, it's going to feel a bit off. So you feel like the, the night is over, that you have to go home. But if you go to white balance 3400, wow, it makes a huge difference because now your, your sky is pure deep blue. That is so much more motivating just to get going over and over. So having the, the right white balance on the spot is helpful only, I think, for the, the fact that you, you know what you're doing is, is good, but you know that you can always change it later in post. Yeah. So yeah. again, if I go back to the, the filming part, it's what's important for me is that when I make these YouTube videos, that the picture matches the video. Mm. Otherwise, it's going to feel a bit off. And that's why also I don't do too much post-processing because you know, if I add a, a fake Milky Way in my shot, then mm. it's not relevant with the, the video I'm filming. It, something's going to, to feel wrong for, for the, 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 the listener who's watching how, how we make these images. So the tutorials are really made in order to um, make you feel that it's real, it's made in camera, because it is the case. Even mm. if a lot of people think that it's Photoshop, like how can this, happen like this trace of light it must be photoshop no it's real it's made in camera um but i think that's what i was getting at with the white balance the, the way you described how it, how it changes just through that blue hour into night kind of um okay so i was one of my questions was 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 going to be if the picture comes out of the camera pretty close to finished i feel like it probably does just the, the way that the experience that you have from shooting this kind of work it it does now but it took me a while to get there it does now because I spent so much time to learn, to figure out these things, and I wanted to be able to teach it also. So now, if you, like, if you see my, early, my earliest videos, I'm filming the back of my camera just to prove it. <laughs> it is what it is, okay? So that's my, my final image. But when I started, it was not the case in my first, because I come from the Photoshop world. Like I'm a, I'm a photo editor. This is what I was doing way before doing photography. 
So it was normal for me to, to touch up my, my images. But once I started to teach these things, like I needed to close the gap and get mm -hmm. really close of the uh, uh, out of the camera image. So I'm really happy I took that time because it feels so much um, pure and so much more satisfying when in the camera you see the, the final image really like that. I was curious to talk a, a little bit more about the bullet time. And um, so you've got this studio, and I don't know if it's the same one, but you have a, a black studio which you, you seem to have installed the bullet time kind of setup there with the cameras all around. What kind of clients or businesses would commission you to do that kind of thing? Or is it, I know you do the events as well, but what, what kind of work comes your way from having that setup? Yeah, so we do uh, music videos. We we do just creative stuff sometimes. A few commercial gigs uh, also, um, and we're using the same system for photogrammetry. So not not the the same structure, but the same software and cameras. So we have uh, we have two two studios. So I, I'm currently in one studio, but we have two other ones just on the other side where we have that bullet time rig and the. 3D scanner rig. So this this is pretty much what we're doing here. And mm -hmm. also a very important point. Um, if you if you look at my my shots in 360, it's mostly Kim and I, and that's because uh, we're testing the software updates. We're we're actually selling the software licenses. So there are many many companies around the world who are using our software to do either ballet time or photogrammetry. And every time we come up with a new version, we have to test if everything is working all right, but also to figure out the, the limitation of the system and what we can do from the creative side of it. So that means we're more able to uh, do different things when we have gigs here or when we want to make demos for our clients. Uh, so it's great to, to know really well the system. So. Uh, so that's why I end up on many of my pictures. I am not, mm -hmm. I'm not a model, I'm not a dancer, I'm not, I'm none of that. But I really enjoy being the the, the test guy. For, so mm -hmm. when my team has a new version, I get super excited. Oh yes, I want, I want to test it. And I always have things in my mind I don't want to test. So for example, yesterday was testing a new version and for, for, a few, for a few years, we had that jump and freeze function where you can mm -hmm. jump so the cameras are triggering in, in a sequence mm -hmm. for half of them, and then the rest of the cameras are freezing the time. So, so you have motion, then we're freezing the rest. So yesterday, I was trying to do a jump and freeze and fall so we get motion on the, on the way down. Mm. And that's a, a bit tricky to, uh, to time, but I got a few, a few shots that, that work. So that, that's the kind of thing I'm playing with these days mm. as a, we cannot travel anyway. So I'm mm. um, just creating content in my studio and we have a couple of really nice gigs coming up also because a lot of things are closed currently in Canada, but we are allowed to, to do productions. But you de did you develop that software yourself personally? So I did the first version in 2011, 2012, but I, I got kicked out uh, once I <laughs> once I hired a team. Uh, I got kicked out because I, I know a lot of things. I, I know how to to code, but 
I just do too, too many things. So mm. I, I needed to um, clear my, my head out of these things. And, and my team is just incredible. They are so much better than, than me. They are, they are younger mm. also, and they, they know the, the recent technologies. And so they, they start from scratch. And I think it's been four or five years now with this version, um, still with the same team upstairs. So they are coding the, the latest version, adding new features, um, making everything run smoothly. So mm. now I don't code anymore, but I, mm. one day, one day I'll go back and just, just keep my, my head uh, busy, but now, now I'm just too busy with other things. Sure. Um, so the software is about, it's about sequencing the timing of when each of the cameras in that 360 setup will, will fire. Is that, would that be? Yeah, that's a major point of it. The software is signal, sending complex trigger signals to all the cameras can be either all at the same time in a sequence or mixing. Uh, it can be multiple iterations on a, on, on a single rig. But also very important is uh, the control of the cameras, so connect to them to change the settings, so to change the ISO on 176 cameras, it's taking me uh, under a second, so it's very fast. Mm. But then also uh, we need to grab all the files, this is automated, once I take a shot, all the files are coming in, we're creating MP4, uh, we apply a digital calibration, so everything is, looks very smooth. And when we do live events, we also have all the, the sharing systems. So folks can share using a QR code without touching the screen mm. because now it's the future is going to be touchless. So, so that's the kind of update we've been working on. So just for the listener who may not have seen, can you, when you take that to an event, um, can you describe the kind of setup that you have there and, and what the experience would be like for someone who goes into that studio that you take to the event? Yeah, so usually when we go to a trade show like the CES or South by Southwest, we're going with a structure with our cameras. It can either be in full 360 or just uh, 120 degree with a bunch of cameras. And then it's automated. We have a lineup with the folks who want to, to have their picture. And, and we do, do them one by one or by group. Uh, either light painting or we make them jump. It really depends on the requirements of the, the client. So we're always hired by a brand to go to these spaces. So over the, the last year, we've been working with Intel, HP, uh, Adobe, Adorama, and always like similar things about capturing the attendees you know, using a multi-camera station. So someone will go in there, they'll do their, their jump, they'll get their sequence, and then they can take it away with them on their phone or whatever. Exactly, yeah. So we have a couple of sharing stations outside of the of our, you know, studio, small studio, and they they can share right away by email or whatever. So they can get the, the MP4 file. Okay, so it sounds like it just would create a really good buzz at, at any kind of event. Do they have them at... Um, Maybe people buy the software for weddings or other kind of events like that. So the the market for that in Canada is zero, <laughs> but <laughs> but we have a client in Indonesia that is doing tons of weddings using uh, twelve cameras. That's working super well over there. Right. So in Indonesia is a very hot market <laughs> for for bullet time. So uh, our software is used a lot over there. Yeah, they also do golf events. So 
or sports events, or they're just going to set up a rig with just 12 cameras. We, we don't do small installation like this, so we're, we're selling software to agencies that are doing it. In our case, it's hmm. always about 24 or 60 cameras or more, but so many of our clients, are, they're doing things that we've never thought about, like the, the weddings or, or sports. Uh, these, are, these, these things are working well for them. Okay, so if somebody wanted to do that for $2, can they do it for $2? Or what's the what's the barrier of entry to doing some kind of bullet time uh, playing around at home? Yeah, so for bullet time, I'd say that it's now possible to do it under $1,000, which is great because it mm. used to cost much more than this. And the, the, the fact that you can get very cheap DSLRs mm. secondhand these days, like you can get them for mm. 200 if you talk about like uh, Canon T3 or uh, 1100D, you can get them for, for, two, for 200 each. And then you start with only six cameras, get our software for uh, not that much, and you're good to go. You just need a USB hub, super easy to get set up. We have uh, all of the tutorials uh, to, to get started. That was not the case when uh, when I started because there was no software on the market. So you had mm. had to code a bunch of things by by yourself, and to get the the cameras that were much more expensive back then. So so now yes, I'm very confident to say that it's possible to get started for under a thousand bucks, and especially now that the algorithm for interpolation are getting better, you can add frames between your cameras. So if you have only six cameras, you can still make it look like you have 12 or even mm. a little bit more. So okay. it's, get, it's getting better and better. So, okay, thanks for sharing that. It's, it's so There's so much to talk about um, with everything that you do. I, I think we could talk about it for a long, long time, but we have to move on to a special yep. round. And um, this is a round where um, I'm going to choose one of your photographs to ask you about, and you can tell me the story behind it. And then you can choose one to tell me about which was me memorable or exciting or, or a, a big moment for you. And um, so the round is called double exposure. So because I'm picking one and you're picking one. Does it make sense? Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. There's so many I could choose. And um, but the one I, I think I wanted to ask you about was there's a shot with Kim. Um, it seems to be in a, a desert. Um, it's from July this year, I think and the circle goes around her it's been strobed but it's just the light is only on the edge of the circle mm -hmm. and she's she's sort of dropping sand from her hand oh yeah yeah i know i know what you're talking about the astrophotography is in the background as well and um i just thought that sequence that is on your instagram feed from that i don't know if it's from the same day but it's a really impressive sequence um and i was really keen to ask you about that um do you have anything that you can you can tell us about that shoot that is so complex to do because when I'm using, when I'm doing just a rim like this, when the, uh, the tube is not light up the whole way, then I have nowhere to hide. I have to align perfectly behind Kim and it's quite hard because um, I'm way bigger than her. So I have to be sideways. And uh, so it's very hard to, to be invisible for me in these shots. 
But what's really special about this picture is, is the sand that she's releasing from her hands. Mm. This is all made in camera. That is mm. her idea. She came up with this. When she, when she suggested that, I was like, it's not possible. It's never going to work. But she did it, and it was so beautiful. So that was not the first time on this specific picture. We've been uh, practicing that exact shot for three years now. More. Oh, wow. It's very tricky, but when when everything line up, it's so great. So I'm not sure if you saw the behind the scenes of that, but she has to let go of the sand one hand at a time, based on the speed and, and the position of my light. So it's very tricky. Okay. But when mm. it works, it creates miracle. I really enjoy mm. that kind of things. When I do this, obviously, I don't think of anything else. I'm <laughs> really in the moment. Uh, that's a, that's a very mm. special shot for me. So to get the um, the exposure for the sky, and then like you say that the 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 sand is being lit by the by the tube that you're spinning around. Um, when you when you add that element to it, it makes sense to me when you say it like that. But I would have never thought about it that she had to time when she let go of the sand, and um, I think it speaks to you, the expertise of both of you. Actually, it's really an incredible shot, and the way that she's kind of rimlit by that light as well. It's just quite stunning. Um, it's, overall, it's just a, an amazing shot. Thanks. Yeah, that's a, that's still a recent one. We, we did this one um, exactly a year ago. Um, well, a bit more, but now we really, really enjoy that, doing that one. And also being at that specific place where it's warm the whole night. So we were not rushed by the time or by being cold. You can just stay there uh, in the sand, in the sand dunes, and experiment over and over. Mm -hmm. So that same shot, we also have it in stop motion. Obviously, not with the with the sand, but with stop motion, we just repeat the movement over and over for about thirty minutes, even up to an hour. That's also very difficult. Uh, it's mm -hmm. hard for the for the neck on, on my side because I, I'm sideways, looking over my right uh, my right arm. In her case, she has to stay still to have her both arms at the same position or slightly moving the whole time. So it's very difficult, but. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's what we do, and we really love that. Mm. Um, is there a shot, you know you've shot so many things, but is there a moment in your career or a particular shot that just stands out as a really memorable, memorable moment for you? Yeah, yeah, there is one that we did uh, in 2017 in Bolivia. So there's that very special place in Bolivia. It's called the Sala de Uyuni. It's uh, the biggest salt lake on earth so it's a hundred times bigger than the the one in uh, in utah it's huge and we've been there uh, before doing light painting we were just traveling doing dance photography but once we find out about the tubes we were like okay we have to go back there and i have this exact picture in my mind uh, this is exactly what i want to do so during the sunset, we took the, the orange tube, which is the, the one that works the best with the, the blue color of the background. And that works so well. And her pose, Kim's pose is so graceful. Everything aligned perfectly. It's, these are very harsh conditions. It's extremely cold. It's super windy. 
the 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 altitude is not helping this is 4000 meters high so it's very hard to work over there but we got exactly that shot and i'm still very happy about this one so i'm just trying to scroll down on your instagram to find that just so i can link it into the the, the show notes is it um does it have the sort of the foreground coming right into the bottom of the shot it's very far in the, in the feed i'll send you the link ah, okay great um i don't know about you but photography just has brought me to so many incredible experiences and I would have never had without photography and that, that sounds like one of those moments for you as well okay one more special round let's go for the quick fire round okay, okay. um ready wide angle or telephoto wide angle head or heart wow heart is that the right answer what's the right answer Graham what's the right answer <laughs> I think it's a mix of both. Okay, the greatest Canadian band of all time. <laughs> um, Harmonium. Well, it's a French Canadian band, Harmonium. Okay, Harmonium. Um, okay, what was the last great book, movie, series, or album you experienced? Uh, the latest from uh, David Gilmore. Um, huh. Can't remember the title. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, cool. Okay. Would you use an expensive lens cloth or would you just use the corner of your shirt? The corner of my shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I knew we were the same in some way. Um, okay. What's a weird thing I could find in your bag or in your studio? The cat. <laughs> the cat <laughs> yeah. is always there. <laughs> cool. Who's your favorite? Uh, I'll start again. Who's your favorite photographer right now? I'd say... Uh... Ruben Wu. It's Ruben on Instagram. Okay. He's doing work with, with a drone. He's really good. I think it comes from a uh, music uh, background also. Um, that, I think that there's something special when you play an instrument and you move to photography. You're, you, you have something different in your, in your head. So I think it's really helpful to, to know how to play music. But in, in this case, it's like on dynamite. It's, it's work cool. is so incredible. Okay, cool. We're going to look it up. I'll put the link in the show notes. Um, okay, what's something you wish you'd known five years ago? I think we're just learning. It's all baby steps. And there's not a major thing that I, I wish I, I knew five years ago. These are all just an accumulation of small things that makes me, makes you what, what, we, what we become. So... Nothing very specific. Okay, it's, it's a great answer. I'm into it. Um, okay, a dream location you would love to shoot in. So we've been there. We've been to all the places we wanted to shoot. And at some point, we started to look mostly for places that are not recognizable and that can be 30 minutes from home. Mm. It doesn't really matter just need to be at a place where we can create something beautiful. doesn't need to be, you know, like with a monument or something that is recognizable. We're looking for abstract landscapes so that can be on any beaches, any deserts. So this is what we're looking for these days. Just okay. having that peaceful place where we can create uh, without any name, any specific name for, for that place. Hmm. Cool. 
And when do you feel at peace with the universe? When I'm with Kim in the desert doing light painting, that's pretty much a highlight. Good answer. So, um, it, it's you know the pandemic is going on when we're recording this. What's the? Is it possible to say what's the future looking like for you in the next sort of few years? Where do you see yourself going in the next couple of years? I'm I'm so open to total different way of living to work. Don't uh, don't mind if if everything stops. I cannot do any light painting. It's okay. There there are other things that that I, I I could do, and I wish the same for for everyone. I think we just need to be open to the to the changes. So every day I wake up and I I do the best I, I can, but I'm highly aware that this might not continue for forever. And if we need to go back uh, to live in the woods, well, that's going to be it. And uh, I'm okay with that. But in the short term, uh, it's really about studio work for me. So I push the system as much as I can to work in 360 to come up with different visuals because this, as we cannot travel, I think that this is the best option I have at this point. I want to thank you very much, Eric, um, for your time and just for giving us such a great insight into what you do. And it's, um, it's for me, it's a privilege to talk to you. You must be the best at what you do. And uh, so really appreciate you coming on the show. Where can people go to connect with you, support your work and find out more about what you do? Very easy. My website, ericparry.com, ericparry.com. From there, you have the links for my Instagram and, and YouTube. I teach a lot of things on YouTube, either Bala Time or Light Painting. Great. Well, thanks a lot. I'm sure people are going to get a lot from the episode and also from your YouTube content, which is completely phenomenal. And um, uh, yeah, everybody can go and check that out. So thanks a lot, Eric. And please send our best to Kim as well. Um, uh, we really appreciate what you do. Thanks, Ram. It's been a pleasure to talk with you today. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you had a few takeaways from this episode. You can follow Eric on Instagram and check out his websites, all the links and links to everything else we spoke about, uh, including where you can buy your own light painting tubes are in the show notes. You can find me on Instagram and at the Viewfinders webpage where you can get my free long exposure photography tutorial. I would love to connect with you there. Again, link in the show notes. Finally, if you enjoy the show, please subscribe, share us with your photography friends, share it on social media. It really, really helps to reach more people. And uh, while you're at it, why not check out some more episodes? Okay, enjoy your photography, stay safe, and I'll see you out there.